3: This is Bear Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. As uh, we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as The Tom Sumner Program, we're going to talk a little bit about anxiety, um, courtesy of a new book called Why Am I So Anxious by Dr. Tracy Marks, who joins me by phone. Tracy, good morning and welcome to the show.
1: Good morning to you. Thanks for having me on here.
3: Now there are a number of things that you know people might find create anxiety: for in school shootings, COVID, politically charged divisiveness, and climate change are just a few that come to mind. Um, is there a significant difference between anxiety and deadline pressure? <laughs>
1: deadline pressure. So. Probably a subtle difference. The subtle difference being that the deadline pressure is the stressor that can create anxiety within you, but it's an external it's, it's externally motivated or triggered, versus um, people can have um, anxiety that comes from internal fears and worries and things that don't have to be triggered by anything.
3: You know, during the uh, various quarantines and lockdowns uh, uh, over the the last two and a half years uh, related to COVID nineteen, I found myself feeling more restless than usual. Is is that anxiety of a type?
1: Yes, it is anxiety of a type. It's not necessarily a disorder. It's Situational uh, or reactionary anxiety—we would call it—as far as having a normal reaction to things that are threatening to you, Um, we naturally our our brains, particularly the amygdala uh, part of your brain, naturally fears threat. It's always on this threat awareness thing to for self-preservation to protect you from danger. Well now um instead of you know back in the primitive days where threats were animals and things like that now we can just sit and watch television and watch the news for about 10 minutes you know and hear 10 different things that feel very threatening and and make us fearful
3: oh don't get me started on the news
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh i know it's it's really uh you know, a diet of, like, hours of news, and you know, especially now that it's 24 hours news uh, coverage. Uh, you can even, you know, sit on your phone on Twitter. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonder that any of us sleep at night.
3: Well, you know, and it's... Um, for me, I, I get angry watching the news, not because of the content, but because of the format. <laughs> There's... Um, it's, it's a whole different thing with me. It, it, I'm a real critic of uh, news competency and, and accuracy. And, and of course, that's before we even get to the subjects which have their own <laughs> special ways of affecting us emotionally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone's different in their thresholds of how much they can take and how much gets to them. But still, um, you know, we can't, no matter how laid back you are, we, you can't deny all of the things that are going on that uh, that spell bad news and can make you feel uh, very upset or afraid of what the future holds.
3: What are the things that, that most commonly cause people to have anxiety disorders?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. So, as far as the disorders go, probably, I would say the most common would be social anxiety, Um, and then there's also generalized anxiety (laughs) as well. But, um, and actually, the absolute most common one is having a phobia, a specific phobia. So, and there's lots of them, Fear of height.
3: Oh, that's my, um, that's, that's that's my big, yeah, I get queasy watching Spider-Man movies.
1: Oh, really? Wow.
3: And and it's, and, and I have to tell you, Tracy, it's, it's, I've always had a fear of heights, but it is intensifying as I get older. It's hmm. getting more pronounced and more intense. and I'm not kidding. I, you know, I watch you know television programs, and one of the common things to do now, largely because of drones, is um, aerial shots of buildings, mm-hmm. you know, for establishment shots, we're in a big city because you can see all these buildings you know from way up high. and I get butterflies from those images, mm. and and it's it's gotten much worse as I get, you know, well, I'm getting pretty old, I'm well into, <laughs> my, well into my 60s, but it just surprises me that it, it seems to be getting worse. I would think it would go the other way.
1: You know, it doesn't surprise me, because as we get older, um and things change as far as your general stability. So people get older, they feel less uh, they, they, don't, they feel less vital, or I'm um, sorry, their vitality wanes. Um, people may start having balance problems. You may not have that in your 60s, but when you, when you feel kind of your, your youth um, uh, going away or having been gone for years, it can make you feel in general more vulnerable you know, and you could be more vulnerable to diseases or illnesses if you're starting to have problems you never had, you know, 20 years ago, that kind of thing. And that general sense of feeling more vulnerable can stir up other baseline anxieties that you may have had before that were in check, but now it just seems to be a little bit worse.
3: Yeah, that that makes sense, I think, but... Um. But what are the things that, that most people, uh, how, how, does, how do anxiety disorders manifest themselves
1: in most people? I would say, um, they, they manifest themselves by causing functional problems for them. Like, that's the difference between... anxiety disorder versus temporary um, occasional anxiety that comes up because of some situation so that's kind of the first um, delineation between um, what anxiety disorders look like versus um, normal if you will anxiety but then what kind of problem it causes for you depends on the kind of anxiety that you're having so with social anxiety for example it's called social anxiety disorder it used to be called social or another term for it is social phobia um, typically people will avoid the situations that make them more anxious but unfortunately the avoidance makes things worse so someone with a social anxiety and by the way so it's social and performance so it doesn't have to just be hanging out with people makes you anxious it could be, Fear of performing. Performing could be needing to speak in front of a group, or needing to um, talk, or you know, needing to um, do something. It doesn't have to be you know playing an instrument in front of a big crowd on stage. Um, So I've had patients where they've almost gotten in trouble with their work because they're going to have a team meeting, and they need to present their data, and they come up with all kinds of excuses. They're out sick that day, and it finally kind of comes to someone's attention that, hmm, something's not right here. And so um, that's one of the ways, for example, that disorder of social anxiety can kind of show up, is having trouble doing these things that that demand um, of them the need to be around people, even though that makes them uncomfortable, or perform in some way.
3: What is mild to moderate anxiety?
1: I would consider... So it it is uh, subjective to some degree, so there's not...
3: Well, um, do we tend, when we see a word like anxiety... Do we do we tend to think of it in the extreme when maybe it isn't always?
1: I think we do. I think uh the tendency is to equate it to a disorder, um, and say, Well, I don't have anxiety when let's say uh, a milder form of it may be Um, waking up feeling tense every morning and and that tension makes you feel irritable or that tension makes you have tight shoulders and tight back and you're stiff and you just don't like the way you feel. Um, Or that that tension or angst makes you feel insecure. So you doubt yourself all day long and you you kind of don't feel comfortable um, giving your opinion about things like those are more subtle ways that anxiety can manifest in someone um but i would i would i would wager a guess that a lot of people don't think of that as anxiety so the insecurity example a person may not see that as well i'm not anxious you know my heart isn't racing i'm not about to throw up um i just don't feel comfortable talking to people about x y and z and that's probably and it could be deeper seated self-esteem issues, but it could also be from anxiety.
3: How can people address anxiety other than um, therapy and, and drugs? And I mean well, medication, not <laughs> recreational
1: drugs. <laughs> not recreational drugs? Okay. So um, there are lots of self-help forms of uh, of what I was going to say of what probably started out as therapy tools. So, um, you know, cognitive behavior therapy. You could go see a therapist to help you with some with co- getting cognitive behavior therapy. Um, as an example, someone with um, let's say OCD um, can. A typical therapy for that is exposure therapy, but there are, and, and that would be guided by a therapist coming up with these exercises for you and so on and so forth. But you can also do that on your own if your problem isn't severe enough that the only way it's going to be helped is with a professional intervention. So in my book, I talk about lots of different self-help tools, um, and I group them in mind tools, uh, behavioral tools, and body tools. And some of the body tools are things like um, nutritional things, like um, taking probiotics as an example, even though, you know, that's back to taking something. But um, your nutritional status and the kind of fuel you take in matters, when it comes to your brain and your mind. And, you know, I don't think we always make that connection, that having a really poor diet um, affects anxiety or depression or any other thing, mental. So um, I think one of the problems, and then I'll let you (laughs) jump back in with a question, but I think one of the problems (laughs) with some of the self-help tools is having too many and not knowing when to do this or that and what helps what. And so it all just kind of gets thrown away as well. I, I don't know. I, none of that stuff works.
3: So if if um, eating Cheetos all the time is, is uh, contributing to my anxiety, eating more Cheetos is probably not going to help. <laughs> eating more <laughs>
1: Cheetos is not going to help at all. Hey um, Tracy,
3: uh, I have to take a short break here. Um, okay. I'm really enjoying our conversation. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more?
1: I sure
3: can. All right. My guest is uh, Dr. Tracy Marks. The name of the book is Why Am I So Anxious? Powerful Tools for Recognizing Anxiety and Restoring Your Peace. And uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners at WFOVLP, our Voices Radio 92.1 FM in Flint, squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's more of the Tom Sumner Program with Dr. Tracy Marks coming up right after this.
1: Hello, darling. This is O'Vira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
4: Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
3: Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we continue now our conversation with um, my, my guest this hour, who is a... Uh, general and forensic psychiatrist and author of the book, Why Am I So Anxious? Powerful Tools for Recognizing Anxiety and Restoring Your Peace. It's by Dr. Tracy Marks, who joins me by phone. Tracy, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that.
1: Oh, no. I was enjoying listening to it, actually.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. Good. I'm glad. Um, I. What is a forensic psychiatrist?
1: A forens- Forensic psychiatry <laughs> is the interface between psychiatry and legal issues.
3: Oh. So, See, we yeah. associate the word forensic with dead people, and I would think psychiatry would be a little late at that point.
1: <laughs> I know. People think that I do autopsies or forensic files like I go, you know, FBI-type work. No it's a completely different application and it and it was an additional year of training as well
3: but it's about applying the science to the
1: law correct when there's mental issues involved so like in the criminal realm if someone it has if there's a question if someone was insane at the time of the offense that's kind of a classic thing that a forensic psychiatrist could be asked to evaluate
3: well, I, I've i heard so many times somebody use the phrase well if they killed somebody they must be crazy
1: I know, <laughs> I know. that's the default and, and another default that I think that the general population or people wanting to think that wanting people to get them to think that they were crazy or insane at the time is that uh, you just snap so you can be fine right now and then just snap and then do something and then kind of go right back to where you were and that doesn't it doesn't work like that either
3: what are some of the ways that we can recognize and manage anxiety we talked about you know not necessarily using medication or um, professional uh treatment like therapy but what's what's some of the, the DIY ways of addressing it?
1: okay sure so um, if you're just looking at decreasing the effects of stress and kind of um, and, and reducing the stress response, let's say that, you know you've got a crush of work going on or you've got all these uh, other life pressures. Some of the things that you can do um are uh, practicing mindfulness mindfulness is bringing yourself um, in the moment and appreciating uh, your present moment without uh, judgment and you're also paying attention to um, the present moment with all your senses so what do i mean by all that so a mindless way to operate is I go to, let's say, my son's um, violin performance, and I'm sitting there, but instead of enjoying listening to the music and noticing just uh, how that makes me feel, I'm thinking about a couple of things I need to do when I get home and all of that. That kind of uh, distracted thinking is not good for your, your mind and makes us feel unsettled, even if you think it's, well, I'm getting something done because I'm kind of working through and doing some planning around some things I need to do later, but you're not, your lack of being present affects uh, your body as far as releasing stress hormones and things like that that have a negative effect down the road Um, or a negative downstream effect like even affecting how you sleep. And It's so easy to do mindfulness. I mentioned this one first. There's lots of stuff, obviously, but I mentioned this one first because it's easy to do in everyday activity. You can wash dishes, which is something that, I mean, some people love that, but if you don't like, if it's some some chore that you don't really enjoy, instead of, again, thinking about your to-do list while you're doing it, notice the texture of the dishes, the temperature of the water, um, what are you hearing around you? Can you hear the water splashing um, in the sink? Those types of things. Just doing that for 10 minutes, or however long it takes you to wash dishes, can make a big difference in decompressing your mind and 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 helping you relax and have less overall stress and anxiety.
3: what about breathing i you know i've i've heard people say well it's it's almost like an old adage take a deep breath
1: yes so breathing is another exercise that's very easy to do because you can take it with you anywhere when so we breathe um Invol- our, bra- our breathing is involuntary. So our minds, our brain controls your breathing rate. So without you thinking about it, you're breathing, you know, the average breath I think is between 12 to 20 breaths per minute, depending on what you're doing. Um, and even at rest, someone can be breathing at 16 breaths a minute. When you slow your breath. You can override your your brain's automatic breathing pattern and slow down your breath. When you slow it down, it also slows down other systems like your heart rate and your blood pressure. So there's there's um, there's an overall relaxing uh, effect on the body when you slow your breathing. And you can't just say if your heart's racing, I'm going to make my heart slow down. But the way you can do that is indirectly by slowing down your breath. So a good place to start is inhaling for three seconds and exhaling for three seconds, which means you're breathing um, a total of six seconds for that breath, which becomes ten breaths a minute. So that's lower or slower than the normal breathing pattern. So... People take that and get even more advanced and try and slow their breath even more, eight breaths per minute, six breaths per minute. But just going three in, three out, that's a very good place to start. And as far as slowing your breath and slowing your heart rate and slowing everything. And then also you want to make sure you're doing it from your uh, abdomen called belly breathing instead of what we normally do when we're anxious or tense or busy is chest breathing, which is more shallow.
3: What about aromatherapy? I I noticed that you make reference to that in your book. And I've, I've known people who were really convinced that that was... A great method of of relaxation and and putting themselves at peace um, what's going on there how How does it work that way
1: so I'm an aromatherapy nut. I love aromatherapy and I was
3: married um, to an aromatherapy nut once and <laughs> and She was always running around with these little spray bottles, you know, spritzing everything. (laughs) And I used to pretend that she spritzed me in the eye. It's one of the reasons why we're not married anymore.
1: (laughs) Oh, ouch. Yes, I'm the potions master in my house, and I've got (laughs) bottles everywhere and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yes, I'm a believer in aromatherapy. The way it works is... um, so. Plants have oils um, that have a chemical effect on the body. So um, I was just talking about this with someone the other day. Rosemary, for example, um, has a chemical in it called 1,8-pheniol, and that chemical compound has a stimulating effect on your mind, which then could help you focus. 1,8-pheniol is to rosemary the plant as cannabis, and are sorry, as THC and CBD is to cannabis, so most of us are familiar with cannabis and you know what all that is, but other plants have oils too in fact, the cannabis plant has several other oils in it. so we know that these oils have chemical compounds in them that have some kind of uh, physiological effect on the body. These oils are um, can become Um, are volatile, which means they can go from liquid form to a gas form at room temperature. So when you smell the oil, you're inhaling the chemicals. It's not just it's a nice smell and, yeah, that makes me relax. There's actually a chemical compound that goes through your nose and and activates your olfactory nerve, which runs through the bottom of your brain into your temporal lobe, where there's all kinds of emotional things happening in that area of the brain. So that's kind of the short answer to how uh, aromatherapy or, or the plant oils can affect you mentally and emotionally.
3: You know, something we, we got into um, during the last segment was about diet and, and food. How, what What kinds of things can people do to change their diet that don't, in some ways, create some anxiety because it takes on the <laughs> the traits of being on a diet?
1: Yeah. So I think, so two things I would focus on. One is when you eat, and then the second is what you eat. And the what you eat, of course, is the bigger part and the harder part. Let me tackle that first, though. The, I think a good kind of broad sweep approach to that would be trying to start with eliminating processed foods and eat as many whole foods as you can, foods that are as closest to nature as possible. So that would exclude potato chips. That would exclude, you know, candy and baked goods. All of those things are highly processed foods.
3: I'm and guessing Cheetos would be on that list.
1: Cheetos definitely <laughs> is on the list. <laughs> and why does that stuff matter? Because those processed foods or that processing is uh, increases inflammation. Inflammation in the body does all kinds of things negatively, both from A physical standpoint of physical problems, as well as mental and emotional problems. There's actually a kind of an inflammatory um, causation or causality theory of depression. In fact, the second part is when you eat. So you could start with that by cleaning up your diet, trying to get out all of the processed foods. That's where I would say it's a good place to start because everything else beyond that does get more complicated with like do I do keto do I do Mediterranean which I think is the one to do but you know there's lots of different ways to eat beyond that then there's timing so in the book I talk about intermittent fasting and how intermittent fasting has been shown to improve um, your mental health in general depression and anxiety and attention why because you give your body a chance to like stop working hard and do some cleanup work in your body, it's kind of like plugging in your, your phone at night to recharge. Our bodies need some time to do, like, back-end work of processing things and cleaning up um, uh, uh, kind of negative chemicals that are created during the day and things like that. And so when you... so. You know, a recommended window of eating would be to narrow your window to around 8 hours or 6 for more advanced people. It may be hard for people to start with 8 even, so you could do 10. And that might sound like uh, a long time, 10-hour eating window, but I would bet you if you really looked at when was the first time you put something in your mouth and when was the last time you put something in your mouth, which includes drinking something with sugar in it, because sugar is food to the brain and body, uh, a lot of people will have a 12-hour window or 14-hour window. And so you want to condense it down, and you can do that by starting eating breakfast later and eating dinner or eating your last meal earlier. And that's how you can get that window in, and extended periods of having no food is good for your brain as well as your body.
3: Now just just out of curiosity, how did you end up getting over a million YouTube followers? I'm asking for a friend.
1: <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so it took time. Um, and you know, so this is year five for me. Um you know, being consistent. So every single week, I have not missed a week. Knock on wood. I now, now I'm going to miss a week just because I said that out loud. But I haven't missed a week. Um, and at first, I really engaged my the people who were watching my community. Um, I answered or responded to every single question until or comment until that got to be too much for me. And now I can't respond to everyone. But, um, but I'll see, and I mention that because I'll see people who will uh, you know, start a YouTube channel and there'll be like two comments on their video and, you know, and no response at all. And if you're only getting two comments, you need to take the time to respond to those people who took the time to make a comment. Um, I mean, I watch YouTube a lot and I'm not making comments. I'm just going, you know, video after video. So for somebody to stop and make a comment, I think that's a big deal. Um and then so, yeah, that, and then also making content that resonates with the people who are watching, and you can find that out from the comments of what people like, what they don't like,, um, and just sticking with it. And the last thing I would say about that is, because um, I can go on forever about stuff. Um the last thing I'll say about that is doing content that you enjoy making. Some people will recommend like chasing trends and things like that, and that can work. But sometimes uh, when you do that and your heart's not really in it, it's easy to burn out and not be consistent because you're not making stuff you enjoy making. You're just making stuff to get views and subscribers.
3: This um, is, do you have other books?
1: I do. Um the first book that I wrote was in 2011, and it's called Master Your Sleep. And I self-published that, and it's not in print anymore. And then the second, I call it a guide and not so much a book, per se. Um, It's called Bipolar Basics. And it's really a compilation of my bipolar disorder videos on my channel that i that I wanted to make in written form with some charts and things like that because I kept getting feedback from my comments about, do you have anything written down? I take notes during these videos. Do you have any handouts or something? And I thought, hmm, maybe I should make a guide. So that was number two, and then this is number three.
3: Is there is there another book on the, on the horizon?
1: Uh, not in my head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this was a lot of work, so this is the the, the only, this is the biggest project by far from what I've done with the first two. I spent seven months writing it, and um, and then now you know I can't just walk away from it. I need to make people aware of it and talk about it. And oh things. sure. So I don't know when I'll have it in me (laughs) to sit back down and do another one and and for that reason I identify more with being an author than a writer because I, I think and this is probably just my own distinction but I think of writers as just being able to just churn out stuff just take stuff in their head and put it on paper and I can't do it that easily like that so um so at the moment no, I don't have anything on the horizon.
3: Is, is there a subject you haven't uh, tackled yet that you might think about approaching with a book down the road? Or does the fact that you're posting things to YouTube keep you pretty well caught up on things you know, that you want to share with people?
1: I will say that the posting on YouTube kind of keeps me helps keep me current because I'm always now reading and looking things up um and if I have something to say yeah it gives me an outlet for that but I do think I do have a personal uh interest in ADHD and um and the effect that that has on people with their as far as their self-esteem and uh, feeling like they can be functional, uh, the struggles that they have, et cetera, that are hard for some people to understand. So that may be something I could write about in it, the You know,
3: it seems to me, um, and a lot has been talked about and written about with regard to ADHD, and it seems like almost every kid in America has it now. Um, what is the difference between real ADHD and kids being kids?
1: (laughs) I know.
3: You know, I'm asking that in kind of a facetious way, Tracy, but it is really kind of serious to me.
1: It is. Uh, You mean the disorder or the issue of like it seems like everybody has it? Well,
3: just, just saying, you know, kids are a handful. They must have ADHD. Drug them.
1: Right, yeah, no, okay, yeah. and that's so, that
3: troubles me.
1: Right, um, n- so uh, I I kind of see both sides of the fence. I see the side of the fence where you have parents very afraid of their child being on any kind of medication, and but the child really cannot uh, sit still in class, or they. Um, can't focus. Their grades they are not. They're doing very poorly in school, and they could use the help. But they—they they don't want to get on medication, and that's their decision because these medicines do have side effects. Um, and then—and then there's the other side of the fence of you know, yeah, this child is just unruly. Maybe they probably need the medication. Versus, it's just an energetic child. We have different temperaments. Some people. Uh, are just more wound up, more curious, more talkative um, and so that doesn't mean that they need to be taking medication to dampen that down so it it can be a real problem identifying what's a disorder versus normal childhood behavior or just say um uh, someone who's distracted for other reasons, like anxiety, for example. Anxiety can make it hard for you to focus and think and concentrate. And so a frustration I'll have is um, when I have an adult coming to me, coming because they want to get on Adderall because, you know, they're they're falling down in their sales projections. You know, they've been at the top of their game for X number of years, and now it's getting harder to keep up with the younger talent coming in so they want something so they can perform better and um tracy this is that.
3: an awful place to have to cut this off i start talking about adhd and then it's like hey look a butterfly but um <laughs> it, it's um we're we're out of time but i always want to uh, Aside from thanking you for spending the time with me and the listeners this morning, I like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more. We've got about 30 seconds. Have you got a website you can share?
1: I do. The best place is to go to my website, which is markpsychiatry.com, and it's M A R K S and then psychiatry.com. And I've got all of my handles, my social media handles are there.
3: Well, Tracy, thank you so much and keep up the good work.
1: Thank you. Have a great day. All right.
3: More of the Tom Sumner program is coming up right after this.
1: Hey, (laughs) this is the Unknown Comic.
5: And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now.
2: And now. And now, too. And even now. I got them New York City Blues Ain't no cure for them New York City Blues Oh, my heart is aching I got them New York City Blues I got them New York City Blues Since my band patrol They drove me Time Summer Program.com
5: jump in Grocery store, get ourselves some and maybe a little bit more. Oh, baby, and later when we get home, I'll be the first one out the car, baby, heading for that. Bed.
3: it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I want to say thanks to all of my guests from the show today. Dr. Tracy Marks, author of Why Am I So Anxious. What a delightful uh, conversation um, that was, as well as the one during the second hour, the uh, author of Vengeance Can Be Deadly, the fifth of the Warren Grave series, Gary E. Smith. And uh, we started out this morning with a White House photographer. Christy Bow who has a book called Eyes That Speak One Woman News Photographer's Journey with History Makers and uh, what an interesting um, conversation that was to be sure and that wraps it up uh, but I will be back tomorrow's Wednesday which means armchair politics and uh, we'll have J.D. Weingarten joining our roundtable regulars should be a good one I'll be back for that and I hope you will be too there's smoking george tickling the ivories telling me it's time to head on down the hall to the living room but uh i'll see you tomorrow good night everybody
0: the tom sumner program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the flint area